Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This podcast may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. The following paragraphs are from a fan fiction titled, I'm Cold, Hold Me, from the Negasonic Teenage Warhead Daughter of Styles and Derek series by today's guest fan fiction writer, Akina Sky. Derek watched as Styles grabbed the nearest sweater, which wasn't his, and pulled it on over his head before he climbed into the bed Derek was already sitting on with Claudia cuddled in his arms. Her little body lacks in sleep and didn't move a bit, as Styles got himself settled under the covers and loaded up a movie for them to watch. Styles pressed play, then snuggled down into Derek's side. You cold? Derek asked, smirking. Styles rolled his eyes. You know I'm always cold this time of year. I need my werewolf heater, but you're currently keeping our cold human child warm at the moment. I'm willing to make the sacrifice for her and her alone, but not being snuggled into your chest is a real hardship. Derek huffed. I'm so sad to hear that, my love. He resettled Claudia's little body, warmed by his slightly higher body temperature a little differently in his arm, so he could lift the arm and invite Styles closer. Styles quickly snuggled into Derek's side and pressed a hand to Claudia's back. Their baby girl sighed happily, the scent of her contentment waving lazily under Derek's nose, and he rumbled happily. Claudia may not have shown any signs of werewolfism in the last two years since her birth, but she always seemed to know when both of her parents were close or touching her, and she was always happier when that was the case. She didn't have to sleep in bed with them. She was just fine in her own crib, but the temperature dropped fast, and she couldn't seem to warm up without her wolf daddy. And now he wasn't willing to let her go just yet. Sometimes it was like that. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fan fiction writer today is Akina Sky. She's been a member of AO3 since 2014 and currently has 157 fan fictions posted for a plethora of different fandoms, including ones like Stargate, Deadpool, Teen Wolf, and many others. She just recently broke 2 million words on AO3. Hell yeah. And she just recently graduated with her master's in business administration. Congratulations on that. Akina Sky, welcome to the Fanfic Maverick podcast. How you doing? Uh, I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. Absolutely. I'm so excited to talk to you, too. And again, congratulations on that master's. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. People on fandom are amazing. Can we just say that for like five seconds here? Totally. Like, we're amazing people, aren't we? We are. So many great people. I love fandom. I'm fan fiction writers. They're they're some of the bravest, talented souls I've ever gotten a chance to run into, for sure. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that because that's been my experience as well. The more and more that I talk to people from all over the world, the more and more I'm impressed by how educated and how sensitive and how there's so much critical thought that goes into fan fiction writing and the understanding of human nature and psychology and all of these things. Y'all are amazing. Can we just like <laughs> admit that right off the bat? That's Y'all so are true. amazing. And I just never get tired of it. But take us all the way back to your history with fan fiction. That's what I want to hear about first. How did you first discover fan fiction? So, yeah, I definitely discovered fan fiction before 2014. So 2014 is just genuinely when I started using AO3 as a platform. Back in the day, fanfiction.net was one of our options. And that was definitely where I made my discovery of fan fiction and I'm not going to lie, one of the first things I ever like sought out was definitely smut, but I definitely didn't stay for the smut. I remember like this, you know, it was uh, it was like this weird thing that I found all of a sudden. And I think if I if I really like harken back to what I initially went after, I remember one of the first fan fiction stories I really recall is this crossover between lord of the rings and buffy the vampire slayer where legolas and willow were like together and willow turned out to be an elf so they did this magical thing and she became immortal and if someone is out there that actually knows about this fanfic like hell yeah let me know what because i can't find it because i i wouldn't even know where to look um (laughs) but anyway it's like this massive it was like one of the first massive stories i remember reading and i was just like i don't know why i'm reading this but legolas is pretty and i really like willow so let's do this and like i just it took me a long time to actually get into writing a fan fiction. I think that's probably true for a lot of us, but I definitely read a lot of fan fiction back in the day. And I definitely am one of those people that was like, come for the smut and stay for the angst, the fluff, the fan fiction fix its and um, everything else. So I definitely am really glad that I stayed for all of those other things because when I first started writing, I was definitely only an original writer. And then I like came into fan fiction writing through, I really want to say my first stab at it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So that was like my first fandom ever. And I, to this day, still desperately love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I just have a very difficult relationship with the creator. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I get that. But I love hearing that that was one of your first fandoms that you wrote in because you know how they say, oh, this is going to age me, blah, blah, blah. It kind of ages us in the sense that y- you and I, I know we're about the same age range. Right. And when we were teenagers, that was the show. That was the show. Everybody in high school was talking about that show, how amazing it was. I mean, people had posters on the wall. It was this big deal. I love that for us, right? Like That's just such a generational thing. <laughs> it's so true. And even though I cannot, there's some other issues about weed-in content um, that I've come to realize in more recent years. I can still go back and watch Buffy and really appreciate the writing and really appreciate 
the world that was created within that space. And I know and I do believe that it was one of those instrumental TV shows when it came to creating strong female characters. And it's not just Buffy. Like Willow is also an amazingly strong character. Cordelia is an amazingly strong character. And for those out there who are like Buffy fans, way to go. I'm like, we're we're all here for you. And Faith, like Faith is a perfect example of like someone who is deeply troubled and she gets better, then she gets worse, then she is reformed. Like you're talking about like so many deep, important issues that took place in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So even to this day, I'm so happy that it's a part of my story. Yeah, and you should be. You should be, because honestly, it was just so iconic. And yes, those characters that you mentioned, so iconic. I can't tell you how many people I knew personally in high school who related to Willow so deeply for many different reasons, many different valid, valid reasons. Yeah. So I just love, you know, that you had that same experience because, boy, do I remember that from high school. Definitely. So it kind of sounds like you got into fan fiction, would you say, like in your teen years in high school? Yeah, definitely. Because before that, I didn't have access to the internet because we just didn't have household computers before then. Once upon a time, I don't know how many people out there who are younger than millennials. Once upon a time, household computers wasn't really a thing. And my parents waited a very long time to have a household computer. So even though I was bringing in content, like I was watching content and watching media when I had the opportunity, I didn't really have the option of looking up things until I was probably in my teens. So I was already a writer probably years before that. And I was an original writer and I had no idea that people even wrote fan fiction until I stumbled upon it. Did you stumble upon it by accident? Do you remember how that happened? I think I did. It was so weird. It's honestly like my brain is like, I don't know if I remember this. I want to say that someone might have mentioned something about it. But again, it was like about the smut. Um, <laughs> it was like, I'm going to put that out there. There's no shame. Exactly. No shame to that at all. I feel like a lot of us get into fan fiction because it does fill some sort of niche desire or whatever. And then we do stay for the other stuff because we realize as we go along through the years, hey, fan fiction is so much more than just this one thing that I initially came here for. Yeah, no shame in that whatsoever. <laughs> I definitely feel like it was a weird Google search. You know what I mean? Like, it came up and I was like, oh, well, I'll just click on this link here. And suddenly there was this whole world out, uh, you know, like open to me. And all I needed was an email and a password. And suddenly I was like a part of this, this crazy, like under, like an underground thing, especially when we were like, when it was coming, like when I was coming into it, it was such an underground thing. Like no one really talked about it. There wasn't Facebook groups. There wasn't Discord servers dedicated to it. There wasn't, you know, you know what I mean? Like the like in the beginning, it was just the content. There was not a lot of discourse around it. Yeah, we didn't have social media back then. We had forums. I remember the online forums that you could post on. 
And there were fanish activities happening on those forums. But like you said, they were underground. You had to accidentally stumble upon these places to find them. And then when fanfiction.net came out in 1998, it was this huge like, oh, my God, because suddenly you had access to multi-fandom works all posted in one place. And that was such a huge deal. I remember how huge that was. As a writer, because that's interesting that you were already a writer of original fiction, and then in your teen years, you stumble onto fanfiction.net and you start to realize that other people online are writers too, and what they're doing is taking these characters from universes that already exist and writing stories about them. Do you remember what you thought about that? Like, was that this huge, crazy revelation to you? Or I probably was a little bit more judgmental than I needed to be. But that's, you know, that's just I thought that I was a little bit better because I was making my own characters. And, you know, I don't believe that at all anymore. I just see the beauty of what fan fiction writers do. And I also see the comfort in doing what fan fiction writers do because I love my original works. I love them, but I can't work on them sometimes because especially more recently in recent years with um between like a a worldwide pandemic and like a lot of like real life stuff there's a lot of comfort in knowing that i can borrow a character from somebody else's world and create something that didn't exist before or creating something using the same trope that's been used a thousand times there's so much beauty and comfort in that and whereas In my originals, you have to create their backgrounds, you have to create their names, you have to create their worlds, you have to create everything for them. And sometimes that's so massively huge that it's hard to undertake sometimes. And so in in retrospect, at the time, I was like, well, I'm better than you because I make my own characters. And it's so it was so childish of me to believe that. Because there's so much power and passion and dedication when you're utilizing somebody else's characters. There's just as much work attached to fan fiction writers and writing as there ever will be with originals, for sure. It's just different. Yes, it's just different. It's a different genre. Both are valid. Yes. They're just different genres. And I love that you use the word comfort. I have often said, Well, let me back up here just a little bit. I, too, wrote original stuff when I was a teenager, right? It never occurred to me that you could take characters that already existed. That occurs to some people, and I think that's amazing. I was not creative enough, I guess, to think about that before I was introduced to it. So I, too, wrote original stuff. And what I remember is... It, like you said, it's very, very hard, right? Because you're creating everything from scratch, from the ground up. And with original fiction, the thing that I notice the most is both the reader and the writer have to do a lot of emotional work to care about yes. this world and about these characters. Even the writer so has to care. True. I don't remember ever falling in love with my own universe and my own characters to the level that I fall in love with these characters that exist in the media that I find out in the world. 
I could pop off and have all of these crazy stories in my head and yeah. headcanons about these characters that I absolutely love. And yeah. I've never been able to generate that same passion, I guess, and love yeah. for the stuff that I created. So sometimes you're right, like that can be a barrier sometimes. Um, so I love that you use the word comfort because for so many of us, it is this comforting place where we can take something that we already have fallen in love with. And exactly. now we can just do the fun part of creatively writing stories about them and all of that stuff. I don't know. I just I love that point so much. I love that. Yeah, it's perfect. And I definitely my original works. So Akina Sky, which is my handle, is also the first and last name of my character. She literally is my self insert in my own original works. And she, I love her. I adore her. I love everything about that world. And I do have that passion, but it requires a level of sacrifice in my own heart and in my own mind that I'm just not capable of right now. So being able to just passionately produce work that I don't have to sacrifice as much emotional stuff to has been a great balm to my soul in the past uh, probably five or ten years. Maybe not that long, but I've definitely had some personal traumas in my life. It might be in the next uh, kind of the next point, but I lost my father to cancer and then we actually lost our home in a fire less than a year later, which also took four of our five pets. I went through a divorce so, you know, a lot of these things, like they all happened in very quick succession. And so um, in a lot of ways, like life really kicked me while I was down. And because of that, I don't have the emotional drive to like dive into Akina's story the way I want to and the way that she deserves because she's a powerful, beautiful character. And I do want the world to know her for who she is. But at the same time, if I can't write her because I don't have the emotional depth to give her, then at least I'm not giving up on writing wholesale. And that's why fan fiction has really saved my life, like saved my creative life in a way that I have a really hard time putting into words because telling these stories and really delving into my creative part of my heart and my soul without diving deep into what Akina's story needs to be really has allowed me not to just give up. And I do know that there was a chance. There was a, a time in my life when I could have just given it all up. And instead, I didn't. And I, I focused hardcore on fan fiction. And I focused on my audience there. And I focused on these characters that I loved who already had pasts. And I had a little bit more detachment from even though I'm still passionately involved with them, it's not the same thing as writing my own story. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I have heard so many other fan fiction writers who do both. They do fan fiction and they do original fiction. And I have heard these types of writers say so many times to me that writing the fan fiction is often what brings them out of that stuck place with their original fiction. Being able to move forward in the pursuit of creative writing with fan fiction helps them out of that place so that they can actually work better and more passionately so on their original stuff, too. So, you know, it sounds like all around, honestly, 
you know, having a place where you can still focus your attention on that creative writing where it feels maybe a little bit safer right now to yes. do it in the fan fiction genre. That's a beautiful thing to have that at your disposal. And then, of course, there's a lot of really cool benefits, right, that come with exactly. writing fan fiction besides the writing of it and everything. That's so true. I'm sure that we'll get to that part. But I did want to ask you, it sounds like you've had some challenging things happen in your real life. I know that I have. I'm sure that we all have, right? And I know that one thing that's happened to me many times in the last 25 years that I've been reading fan fiction, I have come across certain stories. It doesn't happen every day, but I have come across certain stories that have had lasting impacts on me and my life. And I was just wondering if you've ever had that experience in yours, like in the last however many decades you've been engaging with fan fiction, have you ever encountered any fan fictions that have had impact for you? Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I've I've read so many things in so many different fandoms. And I, I really do want to put out there that literally everything I've ever read has some sort of like, it touches my heart. Even if it's just this person finished the story and I got to the end and we did this thing together. Yay. Like, because sometimes that that's what it is. Like, not everything is going to touch your heart and your soul every single time. But there is. So there's two fan fiction like authors that I would just touch on briefly. Panther's Lair is actually a fan fiction writer from back in the day for Stargate SG-1. Daniel and Jack is the ship. And I love Daniel Jack. They're great. Yes, me too. Me too. I love them. <laughs> and that was one of my first ships out there in the world. And I have half a million words written just about them. And uh, she or they, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I think it's a woman. I think, anyway, so she wrote this, I'll just say they, they wrote this series called Former Selves, where Daniel never gets his memory back. And Jack and Daniel had a relationship under wraps before he died in that particular season. And then when he got back, they got back into their relationship. And because he never got back his memory, he ends up leaving the Stargate program. And so they end up going off and uh, like raising kids together. They get married and they live in Minnesota. And it's like one of the best series I ever read in Stargate fandom and tragedy as it is Panther's Lair exists on fanfiction.net but they never posted all of their works on fanfiction.net they only use fanfiction.net to give you a link to a website that no longer exists oh my god I know uh, that makes me so sad I have encountered that with some of the older fandoms in the recent years and it is heartbreaking to me especially these iconic works yep. that you remember and that meant so much to you and they're just yeah. gone yeah so it's actually one of if anybody goes and looks at my my archive of our own profile there's a series that i am writing called something of thyself anyway it's an actual homage to former selves and um i'm trying to work on it but it's it's definitely one of those ones and it might be because they adopted children it's outside of the universe anyway it, it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things it's just panther's lair as a writer was someone who touched my heart over and over and over and over again with the first ship that I was ever really, really, really in love with. Like, 
Jack and Daniel was like one of my first OTPs and they still are. I still love them. I still read their stuff. But Panther's Lair to the depths of my soul will never like that's like the top tier writing in that fandom. It's definitely like something that is like in my heart. They end up like parenting and adopting children with like traumatic experiences and mental disabilities and like just the way this person writes family is something that's so deeply touching to me and so deeply like it just grabs my heart and holds on to me forever and so like that's something that like will i will I'll always remember panther's lair and i will always be sad that they're not out there to continue like bringing their stories to other people who love Stargate SG1 and Daniel and Jack. And on the other hand, I get to be a part of this very small part of history that I got to read all of their stuff. And so even though it's really sad to me that no one else will, at least I did. Yes. And you carry that story inside of you forever. It will always be part of you. They are actually the reason that I started writing my Daniel Jack story that I have like 13 books on because they're literally the reason Panther's Lair is literally the reason I started writing that story because I thought to myself I really want to write a Jack Daniel story but I want it to be mine like not something I've seen a hundred times and so what I ended up doing is I wrote them into my personal original world and so they exist in this other world where half the characters are mine and half the characters belong to SG-1. And it has been like, it's one of those great things that I've created that not many people know about, not many people care about because it is a crossover with an original world. And it's for a fandom that's been much more quieter because it's been out of like circulation for so long. The other thing that I was going to mention is... And this is definitely one of my current loves, like, oh, I'm obsessed with this particular writer, um, is Curry Arshi. Uh, she is currently on AO3, and she has a thousand, not really, but like a bunch of Teen Wolf stories. She was one of the first that really, really, really grabbed me. And my favorite series from her is called The Searching Ceremonies, which is based on the idea of werewolves having one day a year where they can try to see if they can figure out who their mate is. And it's all about Styles getting picked by Derek. And, you know, there's a miscommunication and, like, weirdness ensues. And it's all about, there's so much about, like, bullying and uh, mental health issues and social dynamics, especially in a world where werewolves are known, which is a... In Teen Wolf, one of the tropes that happens a lot is werewolves are known. And it's so great to watch how people write in a world where werewolves are known about. And so there's laws protecting them or there's laws keeping them from doing naughty things. Um, There's laws like so this person like built a world that is kind of like ours, but there's a whole other part of it that's based specifically on the fact that werewolves are a known type of being. And so it's so cool to see that. It's one of my favorite tropes. 
I love when I come across writers who build these complicated worlds like that, you know, because you just, you sink into it and it becomes your favorite headcanon. There have been many series like that for me in various fandoms that literally become the way that I see the universe for the rest of my life, right? Just forever. (laughs) Yes, forever, because it's so iconic and just so good. I love hearing about those two specific series that had such a huge impact on you, particularly like, you know, as you were talking about the Stargate one, I was hearing elements of that series that I feel show up in your series that we're talking about today. So I'm sure that we'll get there when we start talking about that. I'm starting to see some impact there in your writing as well. Definitely. That's beautiful. I love that. Now, I understand that there may be some people that end up listening to this particular episode who are not necessarily part of the fan fiction writing community yet, Uh right? Yes. Because I know that this show is like, it's super niche. It's super geared towards people who are in this community and know what we're talking about and everything. But every now and then someone wanders in who might not know very much about fan fiction because they just haven't been exposed to it. Exactly. So I always love to ask what the most surprising thing that you've learned about fan fiction so far is and then what you love the most about fan fiction in general. And I feel like this is a really great opportunity maybe to talk about fan fiction to folks that might not know. Definitely. I think one of the the most surprising things I've learned about fan fiction, especially considering some of the ideas that people have about fan fiction, is just how deeply creative and inspiring the the writers are. Like they're so talented and they're all just handing it away for free. Like that blows my as someone who hands my stuff away for free i'm still deeply shocked every day that these talented individuals just hand away their stuff for free and they don't take any money from anybody to consume them i'm like i will always be surprised by that but i'm always like deeply enchanted by the writers of the community and how much they care about what they're writing about. Like, even the silliest one-shot about, like, fluff in the day of the life of a werewolf or whatever. Like, you know that, like, you can tell by what they're saying or how they're saying it that they deeply care about the content. And it's not, even though, even though they're talking about werewolves, what they're really talking about is something that, you can bring up and you can talk about in our real world because isn't that why we read stuff to begin with is to find something that we connect with and that we jive with and that we're passionate about like that's what really comes out for me for me personally my relationship with fan fiction I mentioned earlier that it really did save my life creatively speaking but it also taught me something a lot of things about myself like how to be more authentic and how to be real and vulnerable as a writer, but also as myself. I only learned about being demisexual or being asexual through fan fiction. Like I literally learned about that in a fan fiction. And so that is such a great example of what fan fiction writers do is they write about things that matter to them and what they end up doing through the most amazing ways is they teach people about themselves and so because of fan fiction i came out as demi 
I came out as demisexual and I was able to experience that for myself, that this is something that's true about me. But I literally only learned that because of fan fiction. And like, to me, that's like, I'm not getting that in mainstream media. I mean, we're getting a little bit more of it now in like Netflix originals and maybe some other things in Hulu. You know, there's a lot more LGBTQA like stuff. But even then, demisexual and asexual ideas, like those kinds of stories, are still not very understood because we live in a world that's oversexualized. I literally came to fan fiction for a sexual, like, for the idea of, like, smut or whatever. And I came to the realization that I can be more authentically myself in my writing, but as, as well as who I am in my real life. And so I can't be alone in that realization you know i just i i imagine that i'm i'm not totally unique in this experience where i learned something about myself because someone else was willing to write about it and give me that content for free yes 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 i love that so much because in fan fiction anything goes right there are literally no rules you can write whatever you want, which is fantastic, right? Exactly. So that kind of goes back to your authenticity point. You can be whatever you want to be when you write fan fiction and write about whatever you want to write. I feel like fan fiction is one of the purest forms of self-expression that we have in modern times because it is not commercialized and there are no powers that be or corporations or agents or editors or anybody telling us what to do or what not to do or what to say or what not to say. And it is beautiful. It also reminds me your first point. I loved your first point because it reminds me of this conversation I had with a fan fiction writer that goes by Little Red Girl. I spoke with her a couple of years ago and um, she was telling us about this conversation she had with her father. And uh, she was talking to him about her writing one day, right? And he was asking her, hey, what are you, you know, what are you writing? And she had that moment, I think, that we all have, right? Where we feel that shame or yes. we feel like we should be ashamed right. of our fan fiction writing. So she didn't feel like she could come right out and say, yes. well, I'm working on, you know, fan fiction or whatever. Right. And he kind of stopped her in that moment of shame and said, wait a second, Fan fiction and the universe that you're writing in is just the genre. That's just the genre. But what are you actually writing about? Right. And she stopped and she thought about it. And she, she realized that what she was really writing about was loneliness and who are you when everything in your life has gone away and you've lost everything? Or who are you when you've lost your purpose? And um, she ended up posting this really beautiful piece on this whole conversation up on Tumblr. And, you know, we'll all see it eventually because it's very popular. But it struck me so hard because this is the conversation I love to have with folks who may not be involved in fan fiction or may yes. not know what fan fiction is. I love to tell them this is what fan fiction is. It is. This, it's just a genre. And what we're really writing about our real life things. Yes. We're writing about our own self-exploration. We're writing about our own fears and our own worries. And we're writing about our own triumphs and the things that have happened to us 
and the thoughts that we think on a regular basis, we're exploring ourselves. And in that process, we are allowing the reader to explore themselves as well. I cannot tell you how many things I have discovered about myself. You mentioned this and it rings true for me so deeply because that has been my experience as well. So many things I have discovered about myself because a fan fiction writer wrote something. Yes. And I was able to explore myself through the reading of this story and it changed my life forever. It's so true. So because of some of the things that have happened to me, some of the losses and like struggles, those things have definitely ended up in my writing, obviously. But I find that I am most authentic when I am speaking to my losses, my triumphs, my individuality, and like, you know, not not as fun of a realization, I realized that I had internalized homophobia, not for other people, but for myself. Like I was 100% like, raise the rainbow flag, 100% an ally, this, that, and the other. I am going to die on this hill to protect your right to be whatever you are. But it took me even longer to realize that I was bisexual because I had this internalized self homophobia. And that I realized, like, I realized that because of a fan fiction, like, and that was a really hard thing to swallow. And like, because of that, I haven't been able to reread that fan fiction, even though I clearly understand that it's a good story. It is very good. But because it like triggered this like personal experience in myself, I ha I have to like <laughs> let that like kind of relax a little bit before I can read it again. Because it was so hard for me to realize that I hated the idea of possibly being a part of the LGBTQ community because I knew that my parents wouldn't accept it. And they would, you know, all of the, you know, the crap that comes along with that sometimes. And it was so weird to me because I was like, I'm not homophobic. I love the gays, you know, <laughs> like I, I want everything for them. I want everything for them. And people were like, well, you're allowed to want that for yourself. And I'm like, oh, but I'm, I'm a hetero person. And then I realized I'm like, I'm not a hetero person. And <laughs> like suddenly, like I had to, I had to really like delve into that opening of that, that realization and so I, I love that, too, about fan fiction. Like you said, like we're talking about real things and we're realizing things. So that's like a positive thing and like not a negative thing. I don't like that ideology, but a more of a struggle. Like you can struggle with these things and know them to be a beautiful, beneficial part of your life, even though it might be a struggle. And I think that that is also, like you said, like there's no there's no higher ups. There's no director telling you you can't tell these stories. And so because someone had the faith and someone had the guts to tell a story about a homophobic character who is actually gay, it's only because that story exists that I was able to see it in myself. And it's so it's like wild. I've learned so much more about myself from fan fiction than I've ever learned from like a paid resource. Yes. I uh, I love those words that you just used, the faith and the guts. The faith and the guts to tell the truth. We do get to do that if we want to, if we choose to. In fan fiction, we can tell the truth. I will never not be grateful to all of those fan fiction writers out there who, like you said, had the guts and the faith to tell the truth. 
because it touches so many people. It's touched me. It's touched you. And I'm sure that there are like thousands of us out there who have had those same experiences. And so it's really just this beautiful thing where, you know, we get touched and then we write something and we tell the truth and we touch somebody else and then they go on to write something. And it's this self-perpetuating thing. That's the other thing I love, you know, about the fan fiction community is it's so interactive and just this self-perpetuating, <laughs> beautiful living thing that's so fascinating to watch. I could probably just do the rest of the podcast on this uh, topic, um, so but true. we do have to get to the rest of the stuff. So I will stop myself um, okay. before I go like completely <laughs> off the rails here because I could just go on for the next like 10 hours on this. But um, we want to get to your specific fan fiction. You wrote a series on AO3 called Negasonic Teenage Warhead, which was really, really cool. I had so much fun reading this. It's a crossover between Teen Wolf and Deadpool. And I'm going to go on the record. This is like my walk of shame here. I literally know nothing about these two fandoms, which happens to me a lot. I cover lots of fandoms on the show that I just know nothing about. And I actually really love that because I get to learn things about the fandoms that people love and they teach me all this cool stuff. So I'm wondering what draws you in the most to these two fandoms in particular? And then what are some of the reasons you decided to cross these two over? Yeah, I love it. I love this series. So for one thing, Teen Wolf, for me, is like my hurt comfort fandom. Like it's my angst. It's my therapy. It's my comfort. It's my everything because I love Styles and Derek. And Styles and Derek as a ship is my 100% OTP. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit. They are my comfort fandom. It's my comfort story. So I tend to come from right now in my writing. I tend to look at a prompt and go, how would that work in Teen Wolf? Like constantly. Like (laughs) that's just like my first thought. That's my first thought is how does this work in the Teen Wolf fandom? How would I have to change it? How would I have to edit it? How can I embrace it? And Because I am a werewolf girl. Let me just put it on the record. I'm a werewolf girl. It really bothers me that I have to go looking in vampire fandoms to just get a little bit of werewolf. Um, (laughs) That's so true, though. They're usually paired together a lot, aren't they? (laughs) Yes. And it's so frustrating to me because I don't like vampire fandoms. I don't like them. I just, it's, I get it. Like a lot of people, that's their jive, but... I definitely fall into the werewolf girl category. So Teen Wolf in and of itself is kind of a unique fandom because it doesn't have vampires. And Jeff Davis, who, anyway, that is the only thing that I really like about him is that he was like, I'll never have vampires. I will have all the other things. I'll have banshees. I'll have all these other things. But this series is about werewolves and it's not going to be about vampires. So more power to you there. I didn't have to fight through the vampire mythology to get to the werewolf mythology. Yay. And so even though there's so many things that I like, love and hate about it, I will tend to go back to it as a foundational fandom because I love werewolves, because I love that particular mythology. And the way Teen Wolf does it is pretty masterful. They do have them change on the full moon, but you can change anytime you want. There's a lot of uh, ways to control your werewolf abilities to your benefit the rest of the, the month. It's 
not like a shocking mystery that you're a werewolf like a lot of those old monster movies make it out to be like oh i didn't know i was a werewolf you have to kill me now like a lot of those old ideas about werewolves like this doesn't necessarily borrow from that mythology yes they're still quote-unquote monsters <laughs> they're still monster hunters but so much about it is again about family about the pack about connection and it's just made more important by the werewolf mythology so that's kind of a little bit why like i will 100 percent always go to teen wolf um as kind of like my foundational fandom and then deadpool i love deadpool i love ryan reynolds as deadpool let me just like put that out there he's the only deadpool in my mind because he's literally deadpool in real life but my biggest reason so deadpool as a as as kind of like a a media i fell in love with it because i do love magical powers and i do love the idea of the x-men and that stuff but the main reason why these two ended up crossed over is because of negasonic teenage warhead so in the first deadpool she is just an obnoxious teenager and i love her i love her sass i love her she just has like the best dialogue ever her experiences between her and deadpool are just unmatched on television i'm trying to remember her name i think it's brianna hildebrand she's phenomenal she's the, the actress who plays negasonic teenage warhead i'm gonna call her ntw because that's a long name anyway so and then the second deadpool came out and you see negasonic teenage warhead with yukio who is her girlfriend and i was like holy shit it's on screen like lesbians yes 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 and everything about them was so cute like they were just the best thing ever and along this journey like while i'm like watching deadpool and deadpool the second movie at some point i read a tumblr post and i'm gonna forget who the person is i apologize who postulated that ntw is definitely the offspring of styles and derek aha <laughs> and i was like yes yes she is that is now my headcanon that, that that's like that's all that exists for me because her powers are very reminiscent of like okay so maybe she has derek's ability and maybe she has styles's spark so anyway so i'm like Plus, she looks a lot like Derek, and she has, like, the salt and sassiness of Styles. And so, like, yes, Headcanon was born, Fusion was created. I did reach out to the original poster of, on Tumblr and say, hey, I'm just wondering, are you ever going to write something for this? Would you mind if I take this and make it into a, a one-shot? Because at the time, I didn't know that I was going to write however many things I've written. Oh, wow. So it was just supposed to be like a one-shot deal. It was a one-shot. It was never supposed to be a series. But honestly, every single one-shot I've ever written, they're not supposed to be series. Um, <laughs> they just become series because that's who I am as a writer. And so I asked her and she said, oh, please do, please do. Uh, please just tag me when you publish it because I would love to read it. And so they did read it after. So the first thing I ever wrote was actually based on the second movie not even the first movie the second movie because i was mostly intrigued and inspired by negasonic's relationship with yukio and this idea 
that she's definitely the daughter of my two favorite characters as a pairing. So that's how it was born. And then it just like spiraled out into a much greater series. Yeah, I was going to say 33 fix later, right? And you have this like this whole series of fix. I do want you to tell us like what it's about because this is um, 34 stories so far. Go ahead and just tell us a little bit about what the series is about, what themes you're kind of exploring here and all of that good stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I think in the original story, I was just like, I wanted to like kind of jump into the silliness of like having Negasonic be their daughter. And so she's clearly, for those of you who know the movie Deadpool, and for those of you who don't, Negasonic Teenage Warhead is a badass. Like she has her ability is to basically just self-combust and like send out a shockwave of fire and destruction. She's very, very like one of the first things that Deadpool ever says about her ability is I don't want to be the guy who forces her into like sex on prom nights or something like that. Like, I don't want to be that guy who pressures her into sex on prom night because she will blow up and kill him. So she's like definitely like this incredibly strong, powerful X-Men. And so the original take was Styles and Derek see her on television that she's taken part in this like crazy, like something went down, bad stuff happened. Oh my God, my little baby girl. Because that's that's my thing is like, I'm sorry, but I don't care how old you are or how much of a badass you are. If you're my daughter, definitely my baby um and that's te- that tends to be how i write derek and styles as parents is that they just care about their baby girl so they see it on the news and styles who in this particular series um has quite a bit of magic and he's able to teleport from place to place so he just decides to take derek obviously his his spouse and the other parent of ntw and just like go there and see that she's okay and so they end up having this funny silly ridiculous interaction with Deadpool and NTW and some of the other characters from the Deadpool movie and uh, I also got to I mean those of us in the fan fiction community know all about male pregnancy and preg and how they tend to be butt babies like they're born through the butthole <laughs> And so I literally made that joke in the story. And so it was it was supposed to be this funny, silly thing, but also showcase how much they love their daughter. Deadpool's like, are you an ass baby? And NTW, whose name in the series is Claudia. So if I refer to her as Claudia, that's why. It's NTW's name. Claudia's like, what the hell are you talking about? No, I'm not a butt baby, you crazy psycho. <laughs> and so like, that first story really does highlight the silliness of the the crossover and how silly it could be and how how but also how much they love their daughter and that's the point like the big huge theme of most of my stories is how much we love our family how much we love our pack how much we love our children and so from that point on the second thing i wrote was actually a response to the first movie Because I was like, hey, if I'm going to respond, have something from the second movie, I might as well have something from the first movie. So I wrote something quick and silly for the first movie. And then from that point on, 
most of the stories are based on prompts from events that I have taken part in. So Kisses Bingo was one that I did. Steric Week, I try to take part in every year. I did a Steric Bingo that I've done multiple stories for. So a lot of these events have prompts. And from those prompts were created a bunch of these other 30 plus stories. So it was never like, I'm going to go <laughs> write more about this story. It was mostly like, hey, I have this prompt. This prompt could work in this way in this story. I like the idea that at any time there could be another story added. I try to really keep it as like a one-shot series as opposed to here are multi-chapter stories like shoved into a one-shot series. Because I never know what age I'm going to write at for the kids. I never know where the story is going to take place. So I really do try to not have multi-chapter stories because then I can't functionally put them in the correct timeline order. Right, right. And that makes total sense because I think I noticed there were only two in the whole series that had multiple chapters. Most of them yes. were just the one shots. And then I think you have two in there that have multiple chapters and everything. But I love this concept, though. I'm so in love with this concept because, like, you had this basic idea for this AU universe, you know, and then it gives you so much freedom, like you said, to just take various prompts that come to you and you can just take that prompt and fit it into this universe that you have. Nothing has to be in order necessarily. Exactly. Nothing has to be like, you know, um, you're not constantly writing yourself into quarters or anything like that. You can just kind of be like, hey, how can I apply, like you said, this prompt into this AU universe that I have? Here's my take on it. You know, I absolutely loved it because you were talking earlier about you loved the domestic aspect of that series for SG-1 that you discovered, you know, all those years ago. Yes. About them just being in love and raising kids and what that looks like, right? The day-to-day -day kind of a thing. And that's what I felt like I was being let into with your series. You know, of course, I was reading like completely fandom blind here. Right, so I'm right. sure that there were things <laughs> in there that like went over my head. But what I saw was just this window into the domestic lives of these people who really loved each other and really loved their children and the pack. And those things were just so important to them. And that was um, that was so beautiful to see for those of us who maybe didn't have that, right, in our own yes. families growing up. Like, it's such a hopeful thing yes. to be able to be let into how another family might function, like a healthy family, you know? And I was just like oh, this is so great to see healthy people who love each other. And yes, they have challenges. And yes, they have like, you know, things that go wrong or or maybe they need couples therapy. I know that, that was mentioned in one of the stories in there. Yes, it sure was. <laughs> but yeah, but the commitment is there. And the commitment to like having a healthy relationship between Styles and Derek and that commitment to being healthy parents to their children was absolutely there the entire time. And I just was so impressed by the way that they handled each other and the way that they handled things with their kids. And I was just like, oh, these kids are so lucky. Like they have such great parents. Like that's so cool. Styles and Derek really just 
they just roll with things, you know, and try to find the best path forward. And they're just so cool with their kids and stuff. I just I loved that about this series. Yeah. And that's definitely something that so without knowing a lot of Styles and Derek's background, it can be a little bit weird. But like Derek from the series is like one of the characters that he really should be a supervillain with the background that he has. He at the age of 16, he had to through no fault of his own had to mercy kill his girlfriend and a little bit older he was emotionally mentally physically manipulated by a hunter who was in her late 20s when he was 16 not that long after that same hunter used the information that she got through that bit through that relationship through that rape let's be clear she used that information to burn his family alive And like, and that just continues like that's the shit that happens to Derek. So in a lot of ways, like his background and the fact that he as a character is so deeply loving in the show, he is very frequently used as an antagonist, but like no one really believes he's an antagonist. It's hilarious. He's like one of like the creator hates Derek Hale. Really? Hates him, treats him like garbage hates everything that he represents but the entire fandom loves him which pisses off the creator even more like we love him and we would protect him and we would like we will take him away from the creator and give him everything good in life and one of those good things is styles who also lost his mother at a very young age through frontotemporal dementia or whatever so they both have experiences of loss of parents uh, which is honestly one of the reasons why I identify with them. And so even before that, I identified with them for various reasons. So that's what I really love about Derek and Styles is that I think when they're together, they desire healthy relationships, but they just don't know how to get them. So in this particular series, you're seeing them much later in life where they have a lot of experience of working together and calling out each other's bullshit and loving each other through the calling out of each other's bullshit. And so for me, a lot of what I dig into is how do we be a healthy couple who has an admiration society for each other and for our children. And so for me, like that, I mean, that was really born in Former Selves in that series that I love from SG-1. But it's also in me. Like, I just saw that represented in a story that I really love. And so for me, a lot of times, if, like, usually I'm moving towards marriage and children. <laughs> like, that's, like, my end goal for these guys all the time. And so <laughs> it was great because with Negasonic Teenage Warhead as a series, you're already in the future where they have a teenage daughter. And so you know that they've been at this for a while. You're talking about people who have spent a lot of time together and people who have desperately tried to be good parents, no matter what is in their past. And that's what I really see in this particular series is that it's not easy. It's not perfect. There's actually some really great stories. I think one of the few multi-chapter stories might be 
based on the concept of murder husbands. I think that's literally what the prompt is based on. But it's called Keep Your Hands Off Our Pups. Yep, that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that one, that one was going so far out of my comfort zone. Honestly, I don't really write murder husbands. And I don't really like the idea of Derek and Styles being murdery just for kicks and giggles. <laughs> well, yeah, it would take fantastic circumstances. Exactly. You know, which you did exactly. in that particular installment. Exactly. And I love, 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 love that particular story. It feels so weird to say this about my own work sometimes, but honestly, like I really love how that one came out because you really do in that particular story in and of itself really do see how in these fantastical events that is that is happening in that particular story, Derek can't handle it. There are other times and other situations where Styles can't handle it and Derek takes the lead. And then with the addition of Claudia coming to help, because of course she's going to come help because she has the power to, but she's also, this is also her siblings. She's going to do what she has to do to protect her siblings. And so that particular story in this series is one of my greatest accomplishments because I did something so far out of my comfort zone, but I did it in a way that made sense to me. And to me, that's really important. Yeah, no, that installment was completely believable just because like, and you'll have to understand that I... I read this, I don't know if I read it in an order that's maybe not particularly <laughs> normal or whatever. I started just at the number one, you know, sure. in the series and just kind of clicked through to number two, yeah, number three, course. number four. I started the story back when, you know, Styles and Derek are still teenagers. Yes. Or at yeah. least Styles was was younger, you know, and everything. And then I kind of like went up from there and they get married and they have their kids and everything. So it was very sequential for me. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, like that point in the series when you're reading up to that point, you absolutely know, without a doubt, 100%, that these two are completely dedicated to their kids. They would do anything, Literally anything. for these children. And they're just like, well, I guess if that means we got to kill somebody, that's what we're going to do. That's you know, and it's do. not like they didn't have it coming. You yeah, know, exactly. like, <laughs> but yeah, it just goes to show. And I love what you said about how their relationship that you have mirrored here in this series, it mirrors a lot of like healthy real life relationships, just in the sense sure. that that's so normal for partners where sometimes in life, your partner is the one that's a little bit stronger in the situation right. and they're the ones able to take the lead and sometimes they can't. And that's when exactly. you have to step up and do it. And it's this constant dance. You know, I keep hearing relationship experts all over the place say, well, you know, the old adage that relationships should be 50-50 is kind of an outdated model yes. when you think about it because you can't always give 50% or exactly. 100% in a relationship. Like sometimes one is giving a little bit more than the other. Sometimes of course. the other is. You know, it just goes back and forth because of life circumstances or the situation or what have you. And so it, that was just really beautiful to see that at times... It's Derek who's like, no, I'm going to step up. Sometimes it's Styles, And they always find ways to ultimately work together instead of turn on each other. Exactly. And that's really cool to see because I can absolutely see a situation. You didn't write this, but I can see a situation where, you know, your kids are missing and you're fearing for their lives. And exactly. you could easily start tearing each other apart because of the stress of that, you know. But, uh, but that didn't happen. <laughs> exactly. And, and honestly, like... I remember when I was writing my SG-1 series, 
And my ex-husband, who was my partner at the time, started reading it, which I did not tell him to. He insisted. Anyway, and I was like, you know, this is like gay smut, right? Like, there's a lot of it very quickly. Like, uh, just so you know, like, that's what's going to happen. And he, uh, he told me, he was like, I've never read a story where the relationship is a central part of the story and it's not used as a constant stake in the drama train like of all the things that are like exploding around you you can trust that the relationship stays strong it's not perfect but it stays strong and that in its core is what i want out of a relationship and what i've not experienced in a relationship so what I tend to do, that is definitely for me, like very, like I write what I want to see. And I have seen children of my friends like run away and disappear for a couple of hours. And I watched them tear each other apart in that fear. I've watched that happen in maybe less than healthy relationships or, or just like, you know, maybe they're healthy, maybe they're not. It really doesn't matter. But I wanted to write about a couple who sees the inadequacies in each other and don't use those to create a bigger problem. Yes, absolutely. And I loved that. This doesn't just show up in this one installment that we were just talking about. You have many other installments here where challenges do arise up. You know, sometimes it's challenges with the kids. Sometimes it's challenges outside of the family or what have you. And, you know, it's always the opportunity for them to come together and figure it out together and not tear each other apart or whatever. So it was just very interesting to see that consistency as they continued to encounter challenges throughout their lives just to see the way that they handle those and the way that they hold each other so carefully in such a conscious way. Like this is a very, I feel like the relationship that they have is so conscious. It's true. Yeah. It's so easy to fall unconscious in a partnership with another person, but you could really tell that these two are consciously doing their best, right? To navigate things in a healthy in a healthy way. And, uh, it, and it's great. It's so great because you can see that influence in the kids too. Right. Yeah. Especially as Claudia or Negasonic Teenage Warhead yes. gets older, right? Because we first see her as a baby in this series. Yes. Or I first saw her as a baby in the series. I got to see her grow up from a baby yes. to a teenager. And I kept having this thought as I was reading that, the relationships we see as kids okay. when we're growing up, that becomes the template for what we expect to see in our own exactly. relationships as we get older, right? And how amazing is that that she got to witness that kind of interaction and that kind of relationship between her fathers yes. so that she can carry that healthy way of being into her own relationships and you do see her get to be in her own relationship as she gets older you know with Yukio and everything and I just have this feeling like she's gonna be all right with her relationships because she knows what it's supposed to look like exactly exactly and that's in the grander steep of things and especially as like I start writing for them slash Claudia and Yukio or Negasonic and Yukio are gonna be like instrumental in how I write also healthy femme couples as well, because again, that's what I desire for myself. And so instead of 
like I, I think one of the biggest struggles that I have personally with a lot of dramas, romantic comedies, just a lot of media is that what you find is couples that tear each other apart for the humor of it or for the drama of it. And I would love to see more. And I'm going to reference Schitt's Creek. I don't know if you know anything about Schitt's Creek, but Schitt's Creek is one of those newer media resources where you watch the main couples not necessarily tear each other apart. And one of the other things that I really like about Parks and Rec, which is uh, another comedy, is the couples don't attack each other. But you're you're talking about such a massive part of our media where healthy relationships, quote unquote, are portrayed with the intent of you have to tear each other apart for your relationship to be healthy or for it to be realistic. And I don't think that that's true. I think that our world is glomming on to what we see in the media instead of like really hearing each other because I don't really think that people want to be torn apart by their partner like duh no one wants to be <laughs> torn apart by their partner um, right. but, and we're all just putting up with it because we think it's normal oh well it's normal to joke around with your partner is it is it really is it normal to say something funny that actually is very harmful and so for me when I'm creating fan fiction or when I'm creating like any sort of media, what I want is I want to normalize couples that stand together against the test of time and couples that stand together against the test of drama. And like, obviously, they're not perfect. And there are going to be times that they argue and there are times that they're not perfect. There's some great um, examples in this particular series where Styles is super forgetful and he's kind of a child sometimes and Derek's like could you stop being a child that'd be great or when I think there's one about cookies where Derek gets to be the fun parent and Styles is like don't do that uh, or something like that it, it's like I want to be the fun parent for once and so there are these things where they're like hey I know that you're not doing this on purpose but it's actually hurtful and so they get to like open up about that and like I want to see I want to get a chance to keep writing in this series because I feel like it's been such a great platform for those kinds of conversations and I want people to normalize the idea that drama cheap drama of the media does not dictate what you should do in your relationship Yes. Yes. I'm so glad that you brought up that point because I feel like it goes back a little bit to our earlier conversation about fan fiction as a general concept. I don't know if it's just the fan fictions that I am personally attracted to and I gravitate to or not, but I can say with absolute certainty that most of the fan fictions that I read on a regular basis, these are fan fictions that show those types of relationships. And I am still at a point in my life where I'm trying to intellectually understand what I'm seeing. And there are parts of me that feel like sometimes gender has a little bit to do with what I'm seeing. And I have thoughts about that that I'll keep sure. to myself for now. <laughs> but that has been 
one of the most healing things for me personally because um you know i've got two divorces under my belt oh, my yep. parents are divorced i did not see great examples of relationships exactly. growing up and to encounter healthy relationships between characters in fan fiction that was my exposure Exactly. to healthy relationships for the first time and it was a revelation to me and so intellectually i understand that this is literature it's not real <laughs> you know it's a story right but stories have power okay they like do. stories have the ability to teach us things about ourselves they and do. about the world and even the exposure to fantasized healthy relationships has been so incredibly helpful for me exactly. in my own exploration of this is what I want in a partner. This is who I want to be for my partner, exactly. you know, and even just that awareness of being able to be like, yes, this is it is so helpful because then you're like, OK, I have a direction now that exactly. I can work towards or a goal that I can work towards. And so I really appreciate writers like you and a lot of the other writers that I've encountered in fan fiction who do show us what that looks like, what that can look like. Exactly. I think that that's so helpful, right? Now, speaking of pairings and things like that, you know, you told me in an email that you have been slowly moving away from writing slash pairings or heterosexual pairings. And trying to focus more on the femme slash writing stuff for a variety of different reasons. And I am so interested and curious to know more about that. If you're comfortable, I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about the reasons for wanting to gravitate more and focus more on the femme slash stuff. Yeah, sure. I'd love to talk about that. It's actually been a very slow burn, just to use a fan fiction term for me, because I think that so many of us are, gravitate towards slash because men experience privilege that women do not and because of that privilege i think what we're actually writing a lot of the time is the freedom that men experience in real life and so that is replicated in fan fiction the other aspect of that is that because of the privilege of the straight white male what we experience in media is so overly like aggressively towards the, the straight white male that that's a lot of the characters that we see. So even Styles and Derek, whom I love, are are men, are 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 white men, and I tend to write I, like I'm writing these characters because they experience freedom that I do not, and they're they're believable, lovable characters. Whereas a lot of their female counterparts, even in the same movie, even in the same show. You're talking about women who are tend to be two or even one dimensional. They are not likable. Uh, you're talking about even now in 2023, so much of our media that we consume is not focused on women. And even the women that it is focused on, you don't like. And so for me, even finding characters of the female persuasion that I enjoy and want to write more about was such a hard process for me because I definitely had internalized hatred of women. I didn't want to have internalized hatred of women. It's something that I was taught by my father. It was something I was taught by my mother. It was something that was taught by culture that I should hate women, even though I am one. And so to remove that hatred from the situation, I would go straight to two men, 
I wouldn't have to worry about the woman in that scenario. So that was like kind of my my background, you know. And so now for me in my present, in my future, what I really want to do is ask the questions that I've been asking about male characters all of this time. But I want to ask the same questions about these female characters. So instead of saying, oh, well, I just don't want to write about those people. Why? Why don't I want to write about those people? So I can start to really recognize and sort through some of that internalized hatred of women and really start loving them for who they are and what they are, which is human, fallible, vulnerable, beautiful people that deserve just as much of our focus as men do. And as a woman who wants to see more women written by women, written for women, I can't just wait for other people to do that for me. I have to do it myself. Because if I can't be a part of the voice of the movement, then what's the point? Like I'm just sitting in the corner not doing anything. Maybe griping about it while I don't do anything. So I don't want to be that person. I want to take back, like take on the desire and want to see more women. And I want to see more of these beautiful characters written in a way that I can love and that there are real. So in a lot of ways, I've started with the women in Teen Wolf because, again, it's my comfort fandom. And so there are a lot of amazing female characters in Teen Wolf. And beyond Claudia and Yukio, who are kind of that femme slash pairing in the Negasonic series, there's also Allison and Lydia, who's one of my favorite They're one of my favorite femme slash couples right now because there's just so much that I love about them. And they do actually have very great characters in the show, but they're just hated for a lot of stupid reasons that if they were male characters, they wouldn't be hated. You know what I mean? Like there's that double standard of like women characters and Lydia Martin, who I will be honest, she's literally one of those canon Mary Sue's. Like, she always, her abilities, like, um, because she's a banshee, but she's not really a banshee. Her abilities are dependent on what the story requires. So they don't make any sense on paper because they only make sense in the mind of the writer who doesn't care about continuity. Jeff Davis. (laughs) Um... If you talk to any Teen Wolf fan, like we we all agree. That's the only thing we agree on is we all hate Jeff Davis, who's the creator of Teen Wolf. So there's a a lot of amazing female characters that the Hales in this series, um, which we're talking about specifically, you meet Cora, who is Derek's sister. Cora plays a pretty influential role. She actually carried Claudia. And there's their fourth child. So even though their children are biologically their children, it wasn't an Mpreg situation. It was a surrogate situation. So Lydia, as a character, is the reason why Claudia is biologically Styles and Derek's. She's a scientist who, in that story, part of her story is that she figured out a way to do that. Basically mix genetic material to create a child who is genetically both Derrickson styles. Allison Argent is the daughter of a werewolf hunter. Like she's literally born into a werewolf hunter family. And 
in a lot of my series and a lot of my stories, she, and in canon, she falls in love with Scott, who's a werewolf. And, I mean, you don't see it much in this series, but we all hate Scott. And I definitely hate Scott. And there's definitely some stuff in this particular series where he gets his ass chewed for being who he is. So Allison, in this particular series, I'm sure dated Scott. I honestly can't remember because I didn't really think about that. I don't really think about the timeline for the Negasonic series until I have to. Because it's a one-shot series that I never know if I'm going to continue. So... All that really matters is in the future, she is married to Lydia and they have children who all grow up next to Negasonic and her siblings. And so in other series, like my canon rewrite, Allison and Lydia are together very young. So they get together about the same time as Derek and Styles do. Because one of the other things that I really love, one of my headcanons, is that werewolves don't really give a shit about homophobia. And they don't really give a shit about like, oh, I shouldn't fall in love with this person. They have the wrong equipment. And so they don't really care about that stuff. And what happens in that series is that a lot of times an emotional friendship bond can shift into an emotional relationship romantic bond. And so that's kind of what happens between Allison and Lydia. And so they're fast becoming one of my OTPs. I love Allison as a character, even though she has not a great storyline from the original show. Lydia is a great best friend to Styles, And they're just like, they're really great characters and I really love playing with them. And so they're fast becoming kind of like my comfort femme slash couple. And so I think for a lot of, I think for a lot of reasons, they're going to be the ones that I kind of grow. Like I do my glow up into femme slash writing. They're probably going to be the ones that I use a lot because, again, they're from that comfort fandom. They're really great characters, and I really enjoy writing for them. So some of the reasons that I want to do that, I mentioned that I, I, I want to be a part of the movement of writing more content about women. But I also feel very personally driven towards a same-sex relationship for myself. And so I, I want to be able to really delve into the loving connection that can happen between two women as opposed to just the loving connection that could happen between two men i want to be able to write some of those stories too because i i don't want it to be so foreign to me and i don't want it to be so foreign to other people um and so i think in a lot of ways like i just want to be a part of the solution rather than the problem and that means that I have to write about Femslash because it's such a small percentage of what is written out there. And there are so many good Femslash couples out there, but no one's writing about them because everyone is obsessed with, with Slash. And that's not a judgment. I'm also obsessed with Slash. Yes. Yeah. Now, okay, so I kind of want to get into the weeds here just a little bit. I feel like I need to ask you about this because... This is hitting something very tender inside me right now. And I was not planning on asking you this, but I feel so connected to what you said about learned self-hatred growing up in culture and the way that parents talk about women and what we see in the media and things like that. Just in the last year, I would say, I have discovered, <laughs> I didn't know this about myself, but I've discovered that I too have that very strange internalized hatred 
that I didn't even know was there. You know, you talked about internalized homophobia before, and I think a lot of us experience that too, but I did not know until a year ago that you could have that in a gender sense too. Definitely. This feels so vulnerable to me because I have felt so guilty about it after I discovered that about myself. Like that femininity is, it's part of me, right? You know, I'm by gender myself, but that's definitely part of who I am. And how can you hate something that's part of you like that? And I've struggled so badly with it. And so what you're saying, like, feels so vulnerable and it's striking this huge chord with me and here's my question for you because I don't know the answer to this I'm genuinely wondering how have you navigated that self-hatred in your own life because I feel tremendously stuck sometimes with that right like all I really have right now is that awareness and that realization like oh my god I've been taught these things and this is how I feel and I don't want to feel this way anymore. This makes me feel tremendously guilty and I want to be able to love all of myself. And so, uh, yeah, I feel like maybe others out there who may be struggling with those feelings, like maybe we feel tremendously stuck. Like, what do you do with that hatred? Like, how do you turn that around? I'm just kind of wondering what your process has been. A lot of us feel like we don't want to be part of the problem anymore. We want to be part of the solution. So has fan fiction been part of that journey for you and turning that around? Are there other things that you have done that have helped you turn that around? I'm I'm very curious about that. Sure. So yeah, just um I think I would say that my desire to not feel those feelings about myself because I one hundred percent am with you. Like I how can I possibly hate myself how can I possibly hate this beautiful wonderful thing about myself I've lived with it my whole life how can I possibly how can I possibly get past it so I've definitely felt that stuck feeling myself I definitely think that it's like personal for everybody but I think in a lot of ways how I have combated that feeling is recognizing the beauty in other women because sometimes it's really hard to recognize it in ourselves first like we kind of have to for me personally I cannot speak for everybody but I know from my own personal experience that sometimes it's hard to internalize something if I don't externalize it first so for me what I have done is I see a woman walking down the street and I say oh my god look at how beautiful she is and not in a sexual way but in like a I'm so glad that that human exists and I'm so glad I get to be a part of the same the same cast of people I really do have to call out those belief systems in myself, but I have found that absorbing more material that is written by women for women and about women, like that has really helped me when I come across characters, female characters that I have like an unhealthy, like I despise you kind of sensation for them. I try to ask myself, I'm like, okay, if if this person was a man, would I feel the same way? And a lot of the times the answer is no. If this was a man, would I hate them for being who they are? And if the answer is no, then I have to admit to myself that it's coming from a space that culture taught me to have, that my parents taught me to have. 
And it's so hard to feel so stuck. And I definitely feel like my heart is with you in that vulnerable space, that it's so hard sometimes to get out of that stuck space. And I think that all we can do is place that hatred and replace that ugh, that, that ugh feeling with like, what is good about us? What is good about women? What is good about that particular character? What is amazing? What is breathtaking? What is beautiful? What is vulnerable? What is authentic about that person in my life or that character that I love or that character that I hate for that matter? Because there's a lot of female characters out there that I have hated just for the fact in retrospect because they're female. I think for me, the only thing that I can really say is like I purposely go out of my way to find content created by women about women for women. I know I've said that like three times, but it really is like my go-to. Like I need to go and absorb some media that finds the good about women. And sometimes that really is just like flipping through TikTok reels, flipping through Facebook reels, like watching women say good things about women. Like because it really is out there. You just have to go look for it. And I feel like sometimes, like if I can change what I'm externalizing, what I'm bringing into myself, I can then ask the questions internally that I need to ask to let go of that self-hatred. That makes tremendous sense. That makes tremendous, tremendous sense. Because yeah, you're kind of hitting on some psychology the intellectual exercise of questioning. And, um, you know, thank God for questions. Like, I feel exactly. like my whole life is just this big, giant question that I've been trying to answer for years. You know, I, too, have found that asking the question sometimes can be the first step to figuring things out. So thank you. Thank you for going there with me. That's still so tender and so like <laughs> raw for me right now because it's yeah, true. like it's this thing that I just was not aware of until recently. And now it just feels like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do with this? Because at, at a certain point, hopefully we feel the responsibility to change it. How awful is it to go the rest of your life feeling that way exactly. about yourself and about the people around you? And how awful is it to just accept what the media gives us, you know, because it's not healthy and it's exactly. not doing good things for us and it's not even made for us. Exactly. That's so true. I don't know if you ever saw that documentary on Netflix about female uh, film directors in Hollywood. I can't remember what it's called, <laughs> but if you just like if people out there want to see what I'm talking about, I think if you just Google Netflix documentary about female film directors, it'll come up. It was the first time in my whole life that I realized that media is not made for us. Right. It's not. exactly. It's not. That just blew my mind when I realized that. So again, after I watched that documentary, I put on my fan fiction eyes again, you know, my fan fiction goggles, because that's where I always go. And I said, you know, of course we have these communities that sprouted up decades ago because media is not made for us. It's not made by us. It's not made for us. And so, of course, we needed these communities where we could go 
to make the stories that meant something to us. Yes, you know exactly. And of course, Fem Slash is going to be part of that. And I realize, like, I am the first one to admit that I don't read a whole lot of Fem Slash. I don't. Oh my gosh, I still struggle sometimes. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that it's there. I appreciate that people write it. I think it's a beautiful thing that it exists. But I sense so much frustration from fem slash writers yes i'm hopefully gonna have more come on the show this year because i feel like Fingers we do crossed. need more representation yes. yeah exactly because i feel this tremendous frustration from fem slash writers who are like i'm out here i'm making these stories that matter to me exactly. and to others like me but my work and my content get so little engagement it's true within the fan fiction community you know i can just say for myself too like i don't read a whole lot of stuff like that either it's a huge problem all around i was wondering about that in your experience with writing fem slash so far have you noticed differences in the ways that readers react to that genre versus other types of fan fiction that gets posted so part of it is that there's just not a lot of of interaction but the interactions i've had and this is probably more prevalent in my little charmed like three stories that I, I emailed you about as well. It's um Charmed is also one of my my fandoms and I've written a little bit about and I'd love to write more about. But Phoebe is paired with a character that we meet in the show like way, way later on. And she's a demon who in the process of that episode gets turned into a human and then dies. So in my fan fiction, obviously she doesn't die. And she's dealing with being human and being a human female. Um, and how that, like, having periods. Why do I have to wear a bra? Why do I have to wear shoes? This is so stupid. Like, I've never had to do this. I've been alive for millennia, and I know what makes me wear shoes. Now you're going to make me wear shoes? You know, it's kind of like silly things like that. But at the same time, like, it really does represent so much of the the woman's experience. Why are you making me wear dresses without pockets? Why are you making me wear these ridiculous heels that are literally just for men to stare at my ass like so much of the woman's experience in our world is determined by men and so like that kind of came out in that little story in like oh my gosh I have to have a period every month this is so stupid and we're like uh, we know but it's it's a part of who we are and so in that series when I get a comment it's usually like oh my gosh you're the first person I've ever seen to write this. I knew it. I knew that was such a great ship. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And so like, even though the amount of interaction is so much lower than it is with my, my slash couples like Steric or like even with Jack and Daniel or Nagrod from Spartacus, you know, anyway, like the interaction is so little compared to anything else that I've experienced. But at the same time, that interaction is such a blessing because what is happening is these people are out there and they're so desperate for content and no one will give it to them. And even when it's out there, no one's really doing anything with it because no one's really interacting with it. And so I always spend a little extra time when I'm commenting or responding to those people because I know how hard it was for them to go looking for Femslash and how hard it was to respond and how hard it was for me to write it to begin with because I know how little attention that Femslash gets. And so sometimes you have to like 
throw off those ideas and throw off those concerns and just enjoy the story. And so for me, it is partially because like I really have struggled to like move away from Slash just because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's what everybody does. No one's going to care about my Fem Slash stories. And that has to be okay. Like that has to be okay. So I'll always write Steric, but I hope in the future that I can genuinely write stories that that the fem slash couple isn't a secondary couple paired with a higher slash couple for like response or for the idea of like i'm i'm gonna do this because i have to and i hope for myself and this kind of harkens back to a bit of what we talked about i hope for myself that i open my eyes to more of that fem slash as well like i go and look for it i really like buffy and faith as a couple but i've never really read a lot of fem slash about them and honestly a lot of the stories that are buffy and faith are very like i'm like i don't really like this so i'm gonna have to write my own because that's the only way i get what i want so but i also really like there's a lot of fem slash couples out there that are just like desperately waiting for the people to love them and so the love is there. We just have to be brave enough to write it. And I think that that's where it really comes back to. Like, it takes a lot of guts to write fan fiction in general. But I think for a lot of women, it takes an inordinate amount of strength and courage to write fem slash or to write stories about honest to God, strong real female characters that aren't being looked at through the lens of men. Yes, I would agree with that 100% that it takes a lot of like bravery and a lot of conscious authenticity to do that. And that is just a lot of work. My heart goes out to the writers out there who are doing that work because it is lonely. It is. It is lonely. And like you said, you do have to throw out those expectations of interaction with your story sometimes because for the most part you're probably for now just writing it for yourself you might be writing it for yourself <laughs> for the five people that might stumble upon it and exactly. fall in love with it because it's not going to get the attention that other stories do and that's the frustration that I sense the most in femme slash writers and so my heart just goes out like I said we're going to get to talk to some more fem slash writers as the year goes on, which I'm very happy about. I've been seeing articles this year, just this year, of people being really upset that when you do see female couples in media, what tends to happen is like the show will be really amazing and then it will get canceled after like a season or something. And people are just beside themselves because the content was amazing. People loved it. And then it gets canceled. So it feels like, you know, even when you do get the opportunity to fall in love with these femme slash couples that uh, you see in media, you don't really get the chance to even know them before they disappear. And it's like, what the hell, you know? Supposed to do with these feelings. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So all around, it's a tough road. It's a tough road to go down. Um, And I know I personally have work to do there. You know, I know I've said that I don't interact much with the femme slash stuff. And I think a lot of that just has to do with where I'm at right now in my personal feelings with gender and things like that. As I work through that, 
I'm sure that part of my journey in that will probably be interacting more with Femslash, I hope, in the future. Because I think it's a beautiful concept. And I think that it does deserve a lot more attention and love than it currently gets. So definitely I could go on and on and on about that. Um, But of course, like (laughs) we have to move on. So I'm sorry. But I did want to I don't know if you wanted the opportunity to talk just a little bit more about Derek and Styles. I know we kind of touched on that as we were talking about the series and stuff. So I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that OTP that you wanted to get out. But I wanted to give you the opportunity in case there was anything left unsaid there as far as that OTP discussion. Yeah, I think that I definitely want to mention the Steric community. I've been a part of fandom and a part of OTPs and a part of ships, obviously, since I was a teenager. And the Steric community is top notch. Like, there's some of the best shippers out there. Yes, of course, you're going to get your your wild hairs and the ones that are like, you know, but it like, you know, obviously we, we're, we're going to have the ones that are like, I'm going to be mean to Lydia shippers. Like, I'm like, whatever. Like, that's for the most part, Steric shippers have been so queer baited and treated so poorly by the rest of the Teen Wolf fandom that we tend to like not want to add to that, like ugh, that negative energy. So the new movie came out and it's airing on Paramount Plus. And my recommendation, if you haven't paid for it, don't pay for it for the love of Pete. I got it for free. I haven't even watched it yet. But once again, like as Jeff Davis, the creator of Teen Wolf, has proven, he hates Derek Hale and he wants to treat him like garbage. What I really love about the Steric fandom and that fandom only exists because of the OTP. So I, I feel like this is a great place to, to talk about it a little bit is that they took like the nuggets from the movie, like Derek being like a father in the movie. He has a, a teenage son named Eli. So the Steric fandom, the Steric community was like, well, we're just going to steal Eli for ourselves and we're going to take back Derek because Jeff doesn't know a good thing when he sees it. Because once again, you're mean to him and we don't like you. And once again, like we took what we wanted and we left the rest to set on fire. And that's what I really love about the Stare community. We didn't use the TV, the movie as a jumping off place to like hate on the Scott shippers, you know, hate on the Scott stands. We watched it and we were like, oh my God, this is tragic. We're going to write all the fix it stories. That's what we're going to do. And so shout out to the Stare community 100%. They're like, they're genuinely part of the reason I'm still so strongly a Stare OTP shipper is that the people in that community like make every aspect of it just a delight. Can I just say really quick, I have such tremendous love for the fan fiction communities that rally around OTPs that I don't know. Maybe controversial is not the right word here, but they obviously don't come from the show. You know, Of course, of course. And people would look at them on the outside and be like, that is so weird, you know? Yes, exactly. What I find in the communities of people that love to rally around unusual pairings like that yeah. is these are some of the most nuanced people that I've ever known in my entire life. And those are my people. Like, yes, folks yeah. who can see the nuance in things 
and be like, okay, obviously the creator of this show wanted us to hate this particular yes, character. 100%. They want us to not like Derek. And to spite that, we see something else. Like the ability to look at a piece of media and see something else and then create gorgeous art out of it and gorgeous stories. I will always have such tremendous respect for the OTPs that are that, are that way. I just have to mention that really quick. Yeah, That's awesome. Definitely. I love it. I definitely want to say that like I mentioned earlier, Derek has the backstory of a villain and like as a character, he is one of the most beloved in the show for good reason. And Styles is Styles is so perfectly vulnerable and human and silly because he's like he's the comedic buddy buddy to the main character. And he's also like so beloved by the audience. We don't care really about Scott. There's a lot of people who care about Scott. Trust me, they crazy. Like if you just like go and look at like Scott stands on Tumblr, and you'll you'll learn all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> They're so wild sometimes. My biggest thing about them is they do indeed have a lot of on-screen chemistry, which is like perfect. And they, as actors, played into that without like the say so of the director. They were constantly like, you know like playing it up a little bit because they ship it too. Everyone on cast, the only person who doesn't ship it is Tyler Posey who plays Scott McCall and the creator. They're literally the only people on staff who don't ship Derek and Styles. And so like I know I mentioned a lot just because of the Negasonite series is based on them specifically. So much about them is that chemistry. That chemistry comes alive. That beautiful dichotomy of who they are because they're so very different but they're also so similar in a lot of ways they're deeply loyal they're brave they are traumatized and i love my traumatized boys and like there's so many things about them that are similar but in a lot of ways they're so very different and so they come together like chocolate and peanut butter or whatever your favorite combination might be so that's really like I the the main thing I wanted to mention is their community. That's perfect. That is brilliant, and I love that. I absolutely love that because yeah, sometimes these communities can just be amazing. And like I said, you know, the folks that are in these types of communities, them's my people. Yeah, because um, <laughs> you know we can see the nuance in things, and I think that that's so important in artistic spaces is to see the nuance in things. Now, as a writer. I wanted to know, you know, you've got 34 works now attached to this Negasonic series. So I'm sure that you've learned a tremendous amount of things as a writer doing this um, this series here. And I was just wondering, was there any particular challenge that comes to mind for you when you think about the process of writing this so far? And if so, I'm wondering how you went about solving that particular challenge. Yeah, the main one, and this is not something that's um, specific to the Negasonic series, but I am like a canon compliant kind of crazy person. Like I want to be canon compliant. And in a lot of cases, like Buffy or Spartacus or a few others, like the canon is like solid and you don't have to climb away from canon to get good stories. I love being canon compliant. So there's an aspect of me as a writer in constant struggle with myself to not worry about being canon compliant 
And for me, a lot of that comes back to the time frame in which a movie or a show airs or when it supposedly happens. So in a lot of shows, if there's dates involved, I don't know for sure, because honestly, it's been a while since I rewatched Teen Wolf. But most people just say that the time frame that it exists in is like 2011 to 2017 or whatever. So that's the time frame. And that's what their birthdays are based on and stuff like that. So if you look up a time frame or if you look up a, a timeline or birthdays or anything like that, it's based on the years that it like came out, the years that it aired. Whereas Deadpool as a fandom, we actually know from the comics and from the, the from the movies that you can sort of kind of like place it in the timeline of the X-Men series, but you can't at the same time because Deadpool as a canon is supposed to sort of exist outside of time because of who he is as a character. And so for me, like matching those two canons and throwing together like adult styles and Derek who are the parents of Claudia um, Negasonic, like in my brain, I was like, I can't make that work. And so I had to like completely throw away my timekeeper like personality. Like I had to throw that away and let it be okay that like if I'm going to write a universe where Deadpool interacts with another fandom, I have to be okay with the fact that it kind of exists outside of time. Oh, so you had to kind of sit in that discomfort yes. for a while <laughs> yes. and feel that during the process. That's so interesting. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, that makes so much sense, though. It really does. I have such tremendous respect for writers who do the crossover stuff. Because to me, it just feels very complicated every time that I consider. Very complicated sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, the crossover concept is like, oh my God. Because like it's complicated enough sometimes to keep the canon in your head just for one universe, (laughs) you know? And then you're adding in others. And I've seen, gosh, I've seen some stories that cross over more than one. Yes. Right? And so now you've got all this stuff in your head. I just don't have, I think, the... Uh, capacity to keep all of those cannons straight in my head but um the folks that can do it like amazing so and actually technically going to a gathering as a family and keep your hands off our pups actually ends up crossing over deadpool teen wolf patricia briggs the mercy thompson series shadow hunters and buffy the vampire slayer right so for those people who actually recognize those characters more power to you It's literally me, like, harvesting werewolf characters from other worlds, literally to fill in the background of that one, those two stories. So, like, from the Mercy Thompson series, Adam and Mercy and their daughter appear in those two stories. And Oz, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, appears in that story. And there's a few other characters that actually appear in that story from Shadowhunters as well. So I'm literally like just harvesting those werewolf characters. And it was very hard for me in that particular, like those particular stories that I had to like, okay, again, like we have to like let it go that these stories literally like there's no way that they would appear at the same time at the same (laughs) age 
that they're appearing right. in this time frame. And I have to just be okay with that not being correct at all. See, but I love that, though. I love that the process of that was pushing yourself out of your exactly. comfort zone a little bit, right? And giving yourself the opportunity to be like, this feels uncomfortable. This is so uncomfortable. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. I love that because, I don't know, I've always been a proponent of pushing ourselves sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, deliberately out of our comfort zones. Exactly. Um, maybe not something we should do all the time, you know, right, and of course right, it's right. a personal decision for everybody. Exactly. But I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of um a lot of growth and a lot of potential so in true. that space, right? Of pushing ourselves out into the unknown, right? So that's that's very cool. So the last hard hitting question I had for you, and you know, honestly, we covered a lot of this, I think, yes. in our previous <laughs> discussion, but I wanted to bring it up anyway, just in case there were any last thoughts about this topic that you wanted to bring to us here. You have a blog. Yes, I do. Where you write about the ways that media affects us, particularly the way that we view and treat women. And we did touch on this a couple of times in our previous conversation. But I just wanted to bring it up again, just in case there were any last thoughts that you had that you wanted to talk about with this subject. Yeah, definitely. And this is something that I'm still honestly learning how to be open with, because what my purpose is for this blog is to actually become the foundational evidence of a much bigger project, which is we have to admit to ourselves that fiction does affect us. And so we can't keep saying as a world and as a society and as like media consumers, we can't be like, well, it's fiction, so it doesn't affect you. That's not accurate. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, I want my fiction to touch someone on an emotional, fundamental level as a human being and fiction doesn't touch us so we don't have to worry about what we're writing about. This comes across in a lot of issues like taboo topics. It comes across in romanticizing unhealthy relationships, which you see a lot in the media. But my focus, because honestly, it's a much bigger question than this, is how are women and consent for women treated in not only what we're watching currently, but also what we grew up with. And so my starting point is honestly going to be Disney movies. And those people who love it for nostalgic reasons are probably not going to like a lot of what I have to say. Because if you look at Disney, um, especially those classic stories, you're talking about a lot of like issues. But also if you look at even newer content, how often are slurs used against women or slurs that are specific to women used against men. And so this idea that a woman is being used as a slur, but man is never used as a slur, we have to admit to ourselves that this does change how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about other women. And so what I want to do is start with something that could be construed as well, she's just talking about media, so it's fine. Like, it's it's like a, a hard-hitting subject. So I wanted to start with how the media affects us um, and how it has affected me in particular. I don't want to necessarily always be talking about the negative. So I am going to be setting out, like, a whole series about Encanto and how Encanto 
as a media, a piece of media is so fresh and so beautiful when it comes to how the female characters in that movie are treated as characters. And the biggest thing about it is that they're treated as humans who have value. And so when you're looking at matriarchal societies and you're looking at Encanto as a specific example, there's so much in that, what, two and a half, three hour movie that you can talk about and you can really delve into the beauty and the majesty and the the complete love of the female characters. So I don't want to just talk about the negative and I don't want to just talk about how those things can negatively impact us, but I can also want to talk about how they can positively impact us. And Encanto is a great example of that. So I, I don't want to just... Old Guard is also an excellent example of that, where Old Guard, even though it was written by a man, it was directed by a woman. So the main two characters are women. And so in a lot of ways, the Old Guard, which is on Netflix, if anybody's interested, it's one of those media pieces that really delves into like upsetting a lot of the old tropes like the mentor mentee trope and the like you know from the get-go that andy the main immortal in the old guard she's a woman who's been around since forever she's in charge she's not in charge because she's the oldest she's in charge because she's andy and so the idea that there are some creators out there like Mike Flanagan, he's pretty well known in the horror universe. He also tends to write women like you write humans. And so I don't just want to focus on the negative. I want to focus on these directors, these women and men who direct movies and direct media. And you can tell they treat women like men. And that's like they, they treat them like humans. Like people. Like people. And so I really do want to focus on those positive, impactful ways that directors and writers can really give us content that helps us drive a different way of treating women. And so, like, that's not a great nutshell, but it is in a way like that's where I want to start. And that's what I'm going to work on is I'm going to work on really calling out that behavior and calling out the idea that fiction doesn't affect us. But I also want to talk about the, the ways that these directors that treat women like people are so vital to us and to how we see ourselves. That's absolutely brilliant and absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. Where can we find your blog? It is called Write as Snow. So like white as snow, but write instead. And it is a blog on Google. And I could definitely send you a link so you could like add it to the info or whatever. Yes, I would like to add that to the show notes because I want people to be able to go and find that and check it out because that sounds brilliant. I would like to read that because yeah. that just, <laughs> I love that you're focusing not just on the negatives, but also on the positives that we do sometimes see. Then we probably want to see more of that. Exactly. Um, so it's good for us to have those examples of what's going on out there that um, that are positives as well. So yes, if you'll send me that link, I'll make sure to get that up on the show notes. We're coming up to the end here of the show, so I was just wondering, to end us off, if you have any other fan fiction writers that you'd like to shout out on the podcast before we go. Yeah, so I did mention Hariyarshi. 
I don't know if that's how it's said, but if you look her up, she wrote the searching ceremonies on archive of our own. She is 100% like one of the best fan fiction writers of our time for Teen Wolf. If anybody's in the Teen Wolf fandom, they definitely know about her. She's currently writing for some other fandoms, but we always hope that she comes back. I would also like to give a little plug to my sister, who's also a fanfiction writer, and she is 100% worth reading. She is utterly fantastic. Her profile name is Kira Date, and it's Kira underscore Date. And she is like fundamentally one of those powerful writers that I hope she also kind of writes a niche fandom. So I think it's so funny. Like she, she has a pretty small following. But she's totally worth to read. And one of the other ones that is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite writers is A-U-S-S-I-E-B-E-E. She's actually written stories for me, which I love, love, love. Uh, But she's also a Teen Wolf writer. And uh, she is just like, she's one of those. So I just love everything that she's ever done. And I know I mentioned Panther's Lair, which is very sad that I can't find her anymore. But Pian, it's P-A-I-A-N, is another Stargate SG-1 writer who I would also recommend. Brilliant. Thank you so much for those. We'll make sure that the links to those get up on the show notes as well. Akina Sky, thank you so much for joining us and for having these amazing conversations with me today. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. Rolling.